This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Cigar Oktoberfest continues. We will be enjoying a nice brewski to pair up with my cigar in the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. We will also, in this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we will be continuing part two of our series, our Cigar Masters series with Abe Flores of PDR Cigars. Interesting story, and we'll look at the PDR lineup. If you're not overly familiar with PDR, you should be. They make fabulous cigars. We have featured the PDR cigars in our April 2021 Officers Club selection. So we will speak with Abe later on. But first up, I extend to you my Long Ash greetings and salutations, a Long Ash Stappy Salute Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great against screw. The enemies of pleasure. Hashtag save America. As always, it is your global five-star general and alpha male-in-chief front and center from Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A in the Cigar City. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta. Commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and buy Davidoff of Geneva. Introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor. Created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean and accentuated with a touch of cigar tobaccos from Central America. Head to the land where palms sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Well, I was this week, I happened to see an interview with several World War II veterans, great veterans. And as you know, we're losing many of our great World War II veterans, the greatest generation, and some of them were asked about the differences between the United States of America back then and today, and several had some interesting things to say. And I got to thinking about what are the differences, even though I wasn't around during World War II, you probably weren't around during World War II, but we as educated alphas, as educated connoisseurs, we know the history of World War II. We know the significance of World War II to this country and to the entire world. And so I started thinking about it, and I just jotted down some differences that I could come up with, and I'm sure you will be able to come up with additional differences as well. But some of them are very profound and very stark and very disconcerting. So first up, these are my observations as your general. Around World War II, 1940s, American citizens were proud to be American. Today, many of our citizens hate America, including the illegal aliens that come across the border to seek the respite of the United States and the freedoms enjoyed of the United States, which are dwindling as we know. But they too hate America. All we need to do is look at Ilhan Omar, perfect example. She was eating sand in a desert at, I don't know, a Somalian or a Kenyan refugee camp. Now she could have gone to the UK she could have gone to Germany. She could have gone to m numerous countries around the world. Yet, 
she and her family chose the United States of America. Why? Because we're a colonial evil empire? Because we are discriminatory? She's stupid, but not that stupid. She and her family came because they knew damn well the United States of America, land of opportunity. Oh, and the Omar family, they want opportunity. Where else would an enemy of the country in which she is welcomed be able to rise up and be an elected official in Congress? I don't know of too many other countries. She'd be laughed out of a host of other countries. So citizens back in the World War II time, in the 1940s, 50s, they were proud to be American. Today, many Americans hate America. They despise what America stands for. Back around World War II, the Pledge of Allegiance was recited every day in class, as was the national anthem sung. Today, the Pledge of Allegiance in many school districts are eliminated because we, according to these school districts and these school boards, don't want to offend any groups that may find the pledge in the national anthem offensive. Now, these kids come to this country, they live in this country, yet they find the Pledge of Allegiance and the national anthem offensive. So it's being eliminated. I talked to a substitute teacher who told me, she was a regular teacher for many, many years, and she said, I can tell you one thing, Dave, every morning we recited the pledge and we sang the anthem. She said, I was called back recently to do some fill-in work, to be a relief teacher. There were some teachers that were out, so to be a just a temporary teacher come in for a day or two here and there, and she said, I immediately started to tell the students we're going to rise and we're going to conduct the Pledge of Allegiance and we are going to sing the national anthem. And she said, the first thing I was looking for is the flag. So she says, as a substitute teacher, I'm looking around this classroom. There is no American flag in the classroom. She said every, Amer every classroom she ever taught in always had an American flag. When I went to grade school, every classroom had an American flag. In fact, I remember the, grade, the high school that I went to, it was from pre-K all the way to 12. In the warmer months, there was a flagpole right in the center of the campus. And when the weather was nice, when it wasn't thunderstorming or ultra cold and snowy, they would raise the flag, we would pledge allegiance and sing the national anthem. Same thing when I went to day camp. She said, I'm looking around, I see no flag. So I tell everyone we're going to rise and conduct the pledge. They looked at me, she said, like I had 28 eyes. She said, some of them didn't even know it. And the national anthem, she said, probably half of them didn't, re uh, didn't know it, couldn't sing it, didn't know the words. She said, what a stark difference from when I was teaching 10, 15 years ago. Today's youth being brainwashed to be anti-patriotic, anti-American, and to hate America. Now think about this during World War II. The United States of America had manufacturing, was a manufacturing powerhouse. We had manufacturing prowess. How was it that we were able, in a very short order, 
to be able to mobilize every factory, car factory, airplane factory, other factories, tractor factories, you name it, to make munitions, to make airplanes, to make ships, to make boats, to make anything necessary for the war effort. It happened quickly. And no, no companies complained and said, oh, wait a minute. Wait, we're not going to be able to, to, to make our cars and sell them? No, you're going to be making boats or you're going to be making airplanes. And they all did so happily, proudly, and patriotically. We manufactured everything in the United States. We didn't outsource a thing. In 2021, Wall Street, large mega corporations and businesses have exported America's jobs. They have farmed out our manufacturing. They have farmed out our pharmaceuticals. They have farmed out everything for what? To save a damn nickel. Because the greed that is on Wall Street today, whereby if a company misses earnings by half a penny per share, it's a, it's a disaster. Oh, we can save that half penny if we ship all of our manufacturing and our jobs to China or to Korea or to other third world countries around the world. But more specifically, China has been getting all of our jobs. I spoke recently to an air conditioner service company that does all my air conditioning in my home. And they told me that right now, Carrier always made... I remember I went to Syracuse University, the Carrier Dome. Hello, why was it called the Carrier Dome? Because, well, first, Carrier paid a million bucks for the lifetime naming rights. Talk about a bad deal that Syracuse got into. But many, a ton of Carrier air conditioners were made in Syracuse. That was their headquarters for years and years. Carrier Circle in North Syracuse. Huge plant. Made great air conditioners. Air conditioning invented in the United States. In Syracuse, New York. And there are plants, there were plants across this country. What has Carrier done? They've shipped all their much much of their manufacturing overseas. They're making a lot of the air conditioners that are being put into homes today in China. And I can tell you, talking to numerous air conditioning contractors, they said, Dave. The air conditioners that are coming from China are shit compared to what was made in the United States. They said, you could put an air conditioning unit in, one of those big air handlers outside, compressors, whatever those big units are. They said, you could stick one of those outside for 25, 30 years, and they would work. Today, you're going to be lucky if you get 10 years out of them. Why? Because they make them with shit materials, and they're manufactured overseas in China with shitty practices. Wall Street, big corporations, have exported jobs. They have destroyed the American middle class. They don't give a damn because they're saving a half a nickel, half a penny. So we've gone from manufacturing powerhouse to a manufacturing weakling. How pathetic that we couldn't even make our own personal protective gear. We couldn't make masks. We couldn't make protective uh, of gowns. We couldn't make anything. We had to beg China, the very country that created the CCP Wuhan virus, a bioweapon that they unleashed on not only China but on the world, 
We had to beg them for personal protective gear. And when we started to get a little tough, they said, well, you know, just realize that 95% of all the raw ingredients for pharmaceuticals are made where in China. And if you're not good boys, America, we're going to cut it off. And the Trump administration decided we need to bring manufacturing back. All of our essential drug ingredients need to be manufactured in the United States. But no, Wall Street, big pharma, the, the hundreds of billions they're making every year collectively, maybe trillions, not good enough. They want to save one one-hundredth of a cent. So we now make nothing. In World War II, businesses put America first. Today, Wall Street, many large corporations, they don't put America first. They always talk about being global. We need to be global. We are a global corporation. It's not that we don't want American jobs, but we're global. Let me translate. They are global. They want to sell their products around the world, but they want to make everything outside the United States because they want to save a nickel. Now, does our bloated bureaucratic government have something to do with it because the regulations have gone wacko? You better believe it. Should there be safety in factories? Yes. Should there be regulation? Sure. But the problem today is I've talked to manufacturers that say that the various government bureaucracies are so bloated with regulations and with inspectors whose job isn't to say, hey, you know what? You guys hit 100 out of 100. Fantastic. Congratulations. No, their job is to find something wrong, even if there is nothing wrong. I talked to a manufacturer in the Mid-Atlantic a couple of months ago, actually last summer, right around August. And he was telling me that he had an inspection for his company. And he said the inspector came in and he said, we follow everything to the letter of we everything. Safety is number one. We've had no accidents in umpteen years. He said, we are sticklers on everything. Everybody is trained. Everything is spotless. It's the way we do business. Inspector comes in, looks at everything and says to the owner, he said, look, you did a great job. You guys, perfect. But I, I got to write something up. Because if I didn't write something up, my job would be in danger. How wrong and sick is that? That an inspector, instead of saying, congratulations, you have met the letter of the law. You're doing what the law intends, and that is the safety of your workers, the employees, safety of all those who are here in the factory. Instead of congratulating him and giving him a plaque or giving him an award or a medal or a, or a ribbon, he says, no, I've got to find something wrong. And so the owner said, look, there's nothing wrong. You're, you're lying. Well, not really. Technically, it could be. This is the problem. Government is against working America. And I'll get to that in just a moment. In World War II, savers were rewarded for working and saving. They got interest. They got 3%, 5%, 7% on their money that they put in a savings account. Today, savers are screwed. 0% interest, or pretty damn close. I love when I see a bank advertising saying, we're paying huge rates for a three-year CD. We're paying 0.095%, not even 1%. And people are supposed to just jump up and down like that's great. The Fed has screwed Americans. They have screwed the American worker. 
They have screwed Americans that believe in saving and being responsible and are rewarding giant companies and hedge funds and venture capital companies with cheap interest rates, cheap money to go out, buy all sorts of companies, lever them, lever them up, go out, put tons of debt on a company, and screw the workers who have made that company successful. And I can tell you, you want a perfect example? Clear Channel slash iHeart. For many years, my flagship station was 970 WFLA. And when JCOR Broadcasting owned that station, that was the creme de la creme. Everybody across the country looked at WFLA, one of the great news talk information stations in the country. Everybody that worked there was proud. We did incredible coverage, whether it was emergencies, hurricanes, weather, you name it. Everybody came in and said, whatever we need to do, we would walk on water for the management, for the executives, because they treated their employees under JCOR. They treated their employees superbly. Randy Michaels was the CEO. People would walk on water for Randy because he treated his employees with respect, with dignity. He encouraged employees to take charge, make decisions, and if you made a mistake, he didn't castigate you. He said, look, okay, that means you are doing your job. You're trying to find new ways to do things. No problem. Learn from it, move forward. And then it was acquired by Clear Channel, who racked up loads and loads of debt as they started buying stations and groups all across the country. And they at one time had, I don't know, it was I think initially they were in the three, four, five billion dollar area, and they started to cut. Lester Lowry Mays, the founder of Cheap Channel, that was the beginning starting to screw and starting to nickel and dime a company. You take it as a successful company, you buy it because it's successful, and what do you do? You start to screw around with it. You start to get rid of employees. You start to cut salaries, cut commissions. You cut on promotional spending. And then what happens? All of a sudden, the competition is there to clean your clocks. And then knowing that the end was near, they sold it to Thomas Lee Partners and Bain Capital, or as I like to call it, Pain Capital. And what did they do? They installed management that was, number one, feckless, number two, incompetent, and number three, dishonest, with no integrity. And they immediately cut, 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 cut. And every six months, they would cut more employees and cut more employees and cut more employees. Why? Because they racked up $13 billion in debt that could never be repaid. It was just a matter of time before they went Chapter 11. And they did. They came out of Chapter 11. And what is iHeart, and many of the stations you may listen to today, or probably don't, because radio is such a vast wasteland today. It's a homogenous. You listen to one station, doesn't matter if you're in, if you're in New York, L.A., Tampa, Topeka, or Ishpeming, Michigan. They all sound the same, and they all sound like shit. And so the executives who let them into bankruptcy, get them out of bankruptcy, but they still have $6 billion in debt. And what are they doing today? They're still chopping and still cutting. But then they're telling everybody, hey, we're not going to give you raises, but we respect you. We value you. You're important. Why do you think podcasts are destroying terrestrial radio? Why do you think satellite radio 
is destroying terrestrial radio. Nobody wants to listen to terrestrial radio. Why did we make the change a year and a quarter ago? Because I saw where the industry was and where the industry was headed. And we don't need gatekeepers anymore. We talk to you directly. You find us, you listen to us. We can say whatever the hell we want. So what we have seen are savers getting screwed. Instead of getting 5 6 7% interest rates, you're getting zero. And the big giant corporations are coming in and buying everything. Houses, apartments, you name it. One of the main drivers of inflation. World War II versus today, you were, were rewarded for saving. Today, you are screwed for saving. World War II era, patriotism was rampant. Proud to be American. Proud to be part of the United States. Proud of the American dream, of the American way of life. Today, anti-Americanism all over the place. America's evil. We have to dramatically change, fundamentally change America. They want socialism. They want Marxism. They want the, a small group of people in the federal government and the giant bureaucracy to control your life. We're seeing it today. We've seen it under Obama, and now we're seeing it under, under brainless Biden. Big government, small group of people at the top will get rewarded. Everyone else, you do what we say. Patriotism versus anti-Americanism. In World War II, and even in the 50s, 60s, 70s, our founding fathers were revered. George Washington, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Hancock. They were revered. Today, our founding fathers are being canceled. They're spoken in evil light. Thomas Jefferson in New York, a statue of Thomas Jefferson in New York City Council Chambers, just voted on to be removed because it's offensive. To who? To who? So we had slaves. So what? That was 240-some-odd years ago. Anybody living today doesn't have slaves. We don't believe in slavery. We don't believe in discrimination. Now, if you want to use a standard from 1740, 1750 to 1800, 1810, and compare it to today, it's not a fair comparison. Things were different. In 100 years, Americans may look back and say, boy, look at those evil, how they lived evilly back in 2010, 2020, 2030. They may look back at us and say, oh, they're all evil. So do we cancel people that are part of our history? No. Their fundamental ideas in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution, have made this nation a better place. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Every country has gone through ups and downs, has gone through challenges in history. The United States is no different. One time, slavery was the norm. Not anymore. Nobody would accept that. Nobody would tolerate that. Things change. Time changes all. Yet we have people that want to go back 240 years and castigate our founding fathers. The same people, many of the same people who begged to come to this country, who came to this country illegally and are still illegal, but who came from other lands saying, I want to come to the United States of America. That's the country I want to go to. And what do they do when they get here? 
They disrespect the history. They disrespect patriotism. They disrespect capitalism. They disrespect the American way of life. If it was so bad, then why the fuck did you come here? Ilhan Omar, if it's so bad, get the fuck out. Go back to where you came. That's not being discriminatory. That's saying we welcomed you. We put you on welfare. We paid the American taxpayers, paid for you to live and eat and get educated. And how do you repay this country? By calling us evil? You are a traitor. Get out. Get out. Not welcome. You can disagree with things in the country, but to call this country evil, colonialism, a colonialist, a colonialist, forget it. And I realize that that's offensive to many people. I don't care. This country is begging for people to say it like it is, to tell other Americans how it's going to be, the reality. And I'm one of those people. If somebody's offensive, offended, so be it. So capitalism in World War II was a good thing. People wanted the American dream, they, the entrepreneur dream. They said, if I start, have an idea and I start a business, I could get, I could, I could, you know, get wealthy. I could uh, uh, get a bigger house. I could put my kids through college. Most people that go into business say, hey, I want to be able to just get a nice house. I want to get nice cars. I want to be able to take vacations, put food on the table, get my kids well-educated. Not everybody says I got to be a billionaire. Or as Bernard Sanders would say, a billionaire, trillionaire, zillionaire. No, you want to be able to live a good life. That's capitalism. Day, socialism, Marxism, everything handed to people. The government, specifically the Democrats, the giant bureaucracy, the taxocrats, all they want socialism. You will, you will take what we give you, but the top 1%... Of those of us that are in control, we'll still buy our big Martha's Vineyards estate like Obama. We'll still travel by private plane. But you, nope, sorry, you need to drive a little Prius. Capitalism versus socialism. In World War II, it was government for the people. Today, it is government against people. Government has been weaponized against American citizens, taxpayers, the FBI, the NSA, and I'll go to tell you the CIA as well. They're all operating illegally, guaranteed, and the IRS too. Government has been weaponized against Americans. The very people that pay their salaries, they have turned against. So government for the people in World War II today, government against the people. World War II, Superman was a hero. Superman was a proud American heterosexual male from the heartland. What was the slogan? Truth, justice, and the American way. I remember as a kid watching Superman. You wanted to be Superman. Clark Kent, you wanted to be Superman. He represented everything that was right with America. Truth, justice, and the American way. In 2021, Superman now is gay and bisexual. It's no longer truth, justice, and the American way. It is now truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. I'm sorry. This wokeness that has spread even to cartoon characters or comic book characters or, 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 or characters we see in movies, 
has been wussified, betafied, neutered. And when DC Comics comes out and says, well, we're going to be making changes to Superman. You know, a heterosexual superhero is no longer acceptable in 2021, so we'll make him gay or bisexual. Now, I don't care what your sexuality is. I don't care if you want to fuck a goat. It makes no difference to me. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. You don't want to know about my harem and my sex life. I don't want to know about yours. Do whatever you want. I don't care. If you want to be gay, quadrosexual, multisexual, intersexual, whatever other bullshit phrase they come up with, be my guest. I'm fine with it. I don't care, but it doesn't need to be thrown in my face. And we don't need to now vilify superheroes and Americans because we are male and heterosexual. Now all of a sudden it's a crime if you're male and you're heterosexual. But if you are gay, and again, I have no problem with men that are homosexual. I don't care. I don't want to see it. I don't like seeing two men kiss on TV. Not my thing or in a movie. I turn away. Just not my thing. Just like homosexual men may say, hey, I don't like to see a man and a woman in a love scene. It's not my thing. Fine. No problem. Nobody makes you watch. Turn your head. But today, in this country, heterosexuality, being male, is now a crime. But yet, if you want to be transgender, and you want to change from one gender to another, oh, that's fantastic. That's what, oh, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? And now everything has to be changed because we have to accept transgenders, change bathrooms, change locker rooms, change our entire way of life for an ultra, ultra small group of people. You want to chop off your tallywhacker? Be my guest, but I don't want to pay for it. You pay for it. Taxpayers don't need to pay for it. And those are just some of the things that we have seen, the difference between World War II and today. Oh, one other thing. Our generals in World War II had giant balls of steel. George S. Patton, Exhibit 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E, 1F, all the way to the letter Z. He had giant nads of steel. If it weren't for General Patton and his ilk, strong generals, we'd all be speaking Deutsch right now. We'd all be speaking German. We'd be talking about Angela Merkel as our chancellor. Today, we've got General Millie Mouse, a wussified, beta, nadless, pathetic pussy, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Amazing what a difference 60 years makes, 65 years, 70, whatever it is. How America has changed from World War II to today. There will be a revolution in this country. Mark my words. There will be a civil war. It won't be the civil war where you're going to see Democrats and Republicans and, and those that are pro-America and anti-America engage in weapons. That's not going to be it. It's a different war. And we're already seeing it being fought. We're already seeing liberal the liberal media. And don't call it the, the mainstream media. They're not mainstream. They're the ultra-liberal media. The libstream media, evil tech, they're already fighting this war. The war is also at the ballot box, but specifically how the ballots are counted. 
If you don't think that's all part of a civil war, you better think again. It's not going to look like the civil war that this country fought in the 1800s. It's going to be a dramatically different war, primarily fought with technology and with propaganda and with ideas that counter what we believe as patriotic Americans. If you don't think we're in a civil war, you better think again. We are there. The International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Later on in this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we will hear in our Cigar Masters segment from Abe Flores, the founder, proprietor of PDR Cigars and Abe Flores Cigars, part two of our two-part series. You will enjoy that. We'll go into specifics about the portfolio and some of the blends of the cigars that he makes. Beautiful factory, beautiful cigars, and I am going to select one of the cigars that is a huge hit over in Europe. Big hit here if you have not had the cigar. For the money and the quality, you cannot beat it. It is called the A. Flores El Criollito. And that is spelled C-R-I-O-L-L-I-T-O. El Criollito. Comes in about seven, eight different sizes, from small to large. Ecuadorian Criollo 98 wrapper. Mexican San Andren binder. And the filler comes from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua, where it uses Criollo 98. It is a nice, I would say medium, medium plus cigar. Very pleasant. Rolled in the, as I said, a rosado wrapper, very reddish brown type of wrapper that is from Ecuador. So it's got a nice reddish brown hue to it. Very nice notes of some pepper, some maybe some espresso, a little nuttiness, a little spiciness. Now, the size that I have pulled out, 
Actually, I have two, and I'm just debating which one. Eh, you know, I think the 70, which is 7 by 70 is a little bit too big. So I'm going to pull out the double magnum, which is 6 inches in length with a 60 ring gauge, 60, 64, 7 inch in diameter. Suggested retail is around 7 bucks. Great looking cigar, very Cuban-esque in terms of its look, in terms of its band, but I'll tell you one thing. It is far better than the construction and taste of any Cuban cigar that I can assure you of, especially when you look at the price. So the A. Flores El Criollito, my cigar selection today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine is in my right hand. It is ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. I have got the from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, the General's Five Star, and guess what? I forgot to refill it. I knew there was something I forgot to do, but fear not. I oh, Wait a minute. Is my tertiary? Oh, no, no, my secondary lighter. My torch, as I call it. This is the welder's torch. Giant flame, big flame, translucent tank. Got about three-quarters butane left in the tank. That's why you always carry not one, but not two, but three, because a five-star general always has not only a primary litation plan, a secondary litation plan, and a tertiary litation plan. Today's generals in the Pentagon, forget it. They don't even have one single plan, as evidenced by the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Cigar, Cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. Just took a little bit above the shoulder. I will gently toast the foot of this magnificent-looking A. Flores El Criollito. A lot of people may look at this and say, yeah, it's an El Criolito. No, it's an El Criollito. That is the correct correct Spanish pronunciation. Now, being that this is a 60 ring gauge size cigar, I've got to take my time on toasting the foot of the cigar. I start with the wrapper, the edges of the wrapper first. We want combustion on the wrapper to go first, then the binder, then the filler. So now as I have toasted the wrapper, I'm now, and by the way, you don't put the flame directly into the foot of the cigar, into the tobacco. You want heat to cause combustion, not the flame itself. So now I'm going to toast the foot of the cigar, and I am toasting the filler. Again, the wrapper and binder, they are already lit. They're ahead of the filler. We don't want canoeing. So we want a nice even lightation, light at the bottom, and then we're going to gently blow on the foot of the cigar. It's like puff and rotate. Hmm. Mm hmm now, if you toast the foot of the cigar properly and take your time, you don't have to puff and rotate very much. Just about maybe four or five puffs. Blow on the foot of the cigar. I have an even amber glow. That means I have a perfectly evenly lit cigar, which means I'm going to enjoy thorough cigar pleasure and taste. Let me take several puffs. Mm-hmm. Nice. Medium, medium plus. Getting a lot of spice off the Rosado wrapper. Some nice peppery type of spice. Almost an espresso, chocolatey type of flavor as well. Mmm, very nice. For seven bucks. 
for a double magnum, you can't go wrong. Six by 60, seven bucks. It's a great stick. Mm. I'll tell you what. Now I know why these are one of the more popular selling cigars in Europe. Very nice cigar. My cigar is now lit now. As we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, it is important that I pair up a fine brewski with my El Criollito. And I have just the selection. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, we're going down to Mexico. By the way, I don't believe uh, there are any illegal aliens that made this Corona Extra. And this is La Serva Cerveza Mas Fina, imported beer from Mexico. The only reason I have this is because I had some guests at my home early part of the summer. And when I said, I'll get you guys beer, what do you want? A Corona Extra. I said, okay, really, what do you want? No, Corona Extra. Okay, fine. That's what I got them. So, Corona Extra is a pale lager produced by Cerveceria Modelo, owned by Belgian company AB InBev. Often served with a wedge of lime or lemon in the neck of the bottle to add some tartness and flavor. You can also put a little salt on there if you want. Not really. I don't care for that. One of the top-selling beers nationwide. Corona Extra has been the top-selling imported beer in the United States since 1998. And I think because many people went on vacation in Mexico, they saw the lime, they think it's great. To me, it's a bit of, it's kind of a mild beer. A little bit too tame for me. But let's go and open it up. Ah, yes. Let's pour it in my snifter here. Not a ton of head, so we don't have any major head retention. It is a light color. In fact, I would tell you that if you wanted to play a gag on your physician or a medical laboratory, if they said, okay, you got to pee in the cup, put a little Corona extra, they'll never know the difference. Let me take a whiff. It's actually got some very sweet notes on it. I'm getting some citrus, almost uh, some light fruit. All right, so I will say cheers. Yeah, this is very mild. I mean, very light. This is a lager. Very mild. I think one of the reasons it is so popular, because if you're outside in the summer or you're on vacation in Mexico, I don't personally will never go to Mexico. I have zero interest to go to Mexico again. But it's hot. You're at the beach. It's cold. It's light. It's refreshing. Everybody thinks they're cool because they put the lime on it. Okay and they're gonna drink it. To me, this is a very, very mild, tame beer. Would I go out and buy this myself? Probably not. No, not probably, I wouldn't. I like more of an IPA. I like a stout, double IPA. And again, that is because my palate has developed over years. Now, I'm not a huge beer drinker. To me, I'm more of a brown spirits drinker. I like cognac. I like tequila. Top quality tequila, Añejo, extra Añejo, Reposado. I certainly like Scotch whiskey, American whiskeys, bourbon, Tennessee whiskey. So beer wouldn't be my number one choice. But this Corona Extra, for those of you looking for a very mild beer, this goes with a nice mild to medium bodied cigar. I can tell you that a Connecticut wrapped cigar would go very, very well. Now, let me just take another sip here. 
Mm. Nice. Now, Corona Extra contains barley malt, corn, hops, yeast, antioxidants, ascorbic acid, and propylene glycol alginate as a stabilizer. It is a synthetic, colorless, odorless, tasteless, tasteless liquid that belongs to the same chemical class as alcohol. So they use it as a stabilizer. Now, would I go, as they said, would I buy this? Probably not, but it is a very popular beer. 4.5% alcohol by volume. Up. Oh, I can even hear my Pendragon Baron canine. Baron! He's, he saw me drink this Corona Extra, and he's like, what are you doing? Baron, come here. Come here. I have an IPA. Baron, come here. Baron, come here. Stand by. Baron, come. Come here. Come here. Be good boy. Come here. Baron, come here. Baron, come. Come here. Listen. Come here, Baron. Come here. I know you don't like me drinking a Corona Extra Lager. Come here, Baron. Come here. Come here. But I have some IPAs. Don't worry. Don't get too... Don't, don't worry about it. I have... See? He sees me drinking a mediocre libation or a cigar, and he gets very, very upset. Right, Baron? Be good boy. All right. Stay right here. There you go. Don't worry, Baron. I've got a bottle of Johnny Walker Black at the ready just in case. In fact, maybe I'll put a little bit of... Hang on a second. Get the Johnny Walker Black, and let me put just a touch in here. It'll probably improve this Corona Extra. I've never seen Baron go crazy like that. All right, I've got that. When I when I just broke out a Corona Extra Lager beer, right, Baron? I know you know I got good taste, so you be a good boy. Okay, so now let me. Now that I've mixed in a little bit of Johnny Walker Black, let's take a sip. Actually, this makes the Corona Extra better. Baron, do you want a sip? No, he doesn't want to sip. All right. So anyway, we've got our cigar lit. My A. Flores El Criollito. Take a few puffs. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And then my Corona Extra with a splash of Johnny Walker Black. Mm. This makes it palatable. Otherwise, it's way, way too mild. So my cigar is lit. I have opened up my libation. And when we come back, we'll talk Pete Buttigieg. And Walgreens, Pete Buttigieg, maternity leave, please, your cabinet secretary. And Walgreens, the enemies of pleasure, coming after your right, your ability to purchase a cigar in one of their stores. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. 
The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Today at our Cigar Master Series, we continue with part two of our two-part interview with Abe Flores, the proprietor and founder of PDR Cigars, make exceptional cigars down at Tamboril in the Dominican Republic. And so today we wrap up our interview with Abe where we explore many of the brands in his portfolio. Let's talk about the lineup of PDR, the jewels of La Fabrica, as you like to say, because you've really, you start, you've got PDR, there's Flores y Rodriguez, and then there's a Flores, and then you have El Trovador. So you've really got a, a, a vast lineup. So what is the number one line within the portfolio of PDR? Well, it all depends on the United States or Europe. So uh, for United States, the number one selling cigar is the 1878, uh, PDR 1878, Capa Madura. And second to that is the Capa Natural. Um, in in Europe, the number one is El Criollito. So El Criollito, A Flores El Criollito is, is the number one selling cigar we have in Europe. Um, and second to that is my half Corona tents because they like those, you know, short, smaller short cigars. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. So the Criollito is, is, is a blend that was, it came about when at least like 10 retailers from Spain, from Barcelona to, to Madrid came down. Um, they wanted something to compete with, with their Cuban um, cigars that they were selling. Uh, they wanted something with a good price point, good, you know, simple look. Um, and similar to their to the profile that they were getting with, with Cuban cigars. We launched it in, in Spain and within, now it's been six years with, with Carillito and now we have it all over Europe. All over Europe. Every country you go to, you'll find a Criollito in Europe. Um, and then the United States, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the 1878 still. Then, uh, because of the pandemic, we've had to like kind of like restructure things, pull back in a lot of the blends, and, and take it out of the market. And then slowly, as we increase production, beginning of the year, I was only producing like 8,000 cigars a day. And now I'm, now I'm up to 15,000 cigars a day. Because we've been able to train people and, and get people, because we've been having shortage of labor, just like the United States has. Um, we've been having a lot of shortage of fine rollers and employees and good guys. So I've had to do a school and train people. So we're now at 15,000 a day. And um, as we increase production, then I re reintroduce the lines again and all, you know, bring them back to original blends and with the new packaging. So the last one we brought in was the Criollito in a new packaging. And then the next one will be the, the Grand Reserva. We were still shipping Grand Reserva, but in bundles to certain customers. Um, but now the Grand Reserva will be back. And then the next will be Seri Privada. And Seri Privada was the second number 10 cigar of the year. It's, um, it's a Habano and a Maduro. Uh, you know, had you know, the tobacco from Jalapa and Esteli. Um, and that is a semi, semi box press cigar that, that's, you know, leathery and, and spicy at the same time. So it's, it's done, it did very well back then. And I am very positive it's going to do well again as we, when we reintroduce it. All right. So let's, so. let's go back to the El Criollito. And as I look at that, Abe, with the new packaging, it is 
very similar. It's got a Monte Cuban Monte Cristo look to it. Uh, not exactly, but just has that look and the Ecuador Criollo 98 wrapper on it. One of my favorite tobaccos, the Mexican San Andrea. Now, is that a uh, is that a, a Marone wrapper or, or um, a Marone binder or what type of tobacco is the Mexican San Andreas in the El Criollito? That, that we use that as a binder for the as binder. right, right. Uh, and then the, the, problem, fil- the problem is that the fillers of this El Criollo ninety eight and then the wrapper is Criollo ninety eight. So if I also put Criollo ninety eight on the on the binder. It will be a little bit too much. Too so I much. Something to balance out the whole, you know, the whole triangle of the blend, you know. So I needed right. something completely different. And and San Andres has a smoky taste to it um, that leaves it a nice, you know, creams out a little bit the the the, the spice. So we've I needed something a leaf that could give me that effect in the in the blend. And, and as I look, it comes in, I think, about eight, nine sizes. But that short Gordo, four and a quarter inches in length with a 58 ring gauge, Abe, I think that one has my name on it. That is a perfect <laughs> size to have some some espresso, walk the dog, Sunday morning, you know, when you're just kind of chilling out. Tell me about the complexion. That's what, more of a medium, medium-plus cigar in terms of strength? It's a medium body, but it's, it's spicy in the front, you know. So... Um... Has a good spice, good spice in it. Not like overpowering. It's just a, a medium spice in the, in, the, in the front, in the mouth, and then in the retail hell. But it has a lot of, you know, like leather, uh, uh, you know, leatherish. Because the 1878 Sun Grown has more of a cedar uh, uh, type of, of uh, flavor coming through. Uh, this is more of a, I don't know, a little bit like a. Like a little bit like a habanero, you know, real right. spice, you know, peppery in the mouth, you know, picante coming through. And then uh, the burn is very well. It's nice white ash. Um, the construction is phenomenal. Um, you know, and we have that many sizes. It's because in Europe, we started with Robusto. That was a 5 by 54 and then 6 by 60. And then... Europe wanted more and more and more sizes because they're so used to having like with Cubans like from you know like La, right. La, you know uh, from Roman Juliet like a little club to you know uh, a Churchill you know so my distributors were like oh we want to go you know we want more sizes like kind of like Vegafina or like Romeo and stuff like that so we started introducing clubs and Perlas and and um and uh, Coronas, and then the, then at the end was a seven by seven, a six, well, seven by seventy. We had a six by six, and then a seven by seventy. And we're gonna stop it at a seven by seventy. That's the only cigar that <laughs> has a seven by seventy. Abe, you know there are American cigar connoisseurs that would say, "Hey, how about an eight by eighty or a nine by 90? I mean, th- these ring sizes have gotten so huge. I think when you seven by seventy, I think is to me is just too big. But I'll tell you, to me, I. One of my favorite sizes to this day is still a Corona size. I just love the traditional Corona size. And I think we're starting to see a popularity of that coming back, even though there's been a gravitation towards these massive ring gauges. To me, I still like that nice Corona size. And look, I know a lot of the manufacturers, they say, hey, the cigars that we really base all of our blends are is a Corona. How about you? Is that similar for you? Um. I base my blends off of a Toro. 
Toro. So I, okay. A Toro for me is a good middle ground, you know, um, you know, six by 52, you know, and then I take up and down from the percentage from there. Uh, all my Toros, if you smoke a Toro of mine, it really gives you what I was looking for in the, in the okay. blend. Um, as you go down in size, you start getting more wrapper profile. As you start going up in size, you start getting more of the filler, as you know. Um, well, yeah, people in Cuba, some you know, I've, I've, fought, I've fought with some people in Cuba where they say the wrapper doesn't add anything, but the wrapper does in my mind. Absolutely. Wrapper <laughs> <laughs> adds a ton. I mean, depending on who you talk to, 50, 60% uh, of the flavor. Of course, there's no way to exactly know that. It's sub- subjective. But I guess the best way to do that is change the wrapper on a cigar, and that'll give you an idea of the, uh, the taste profile. Is the El Criollito available in the United States as well as Europe? Yes, it is. It's available okay. in the United States. It's going more and more and more in the United States. And what is the suggested retail uh, ballpark average for the El Criorito? It's a for a six by sixty is like seven, eight bucks. So So you're really in that value price. I mean, that's still a that's a great sweet spot. Uh, When we're seeing more and more cigars today in the ten, twelve, you know, dollar area, used to I remember, and I'm sure you remember, Abe, where you know value a good cigar, look five, six bucks. That was kind of uh, you know right where you wanted to be, and then it went up to seven, then eight. Now we're seeing with the with the price increases and the demand, we're seeing now cigars you know eight to ten now is really that spot where we're seeing it. So to be in that seven dollar category is still still very good. Now let's talk about the PDR. Um, you said Capa Natural and Capa Madura are the two big sellers in the United States. Which one of those two are the front runner? The Maduro. The Maduro. The Maduro is right. yeah, it's number one. Number that one. That's so right. Yeah. So, now, uh, you use on that cigar, you use one of my favorite wrappers, and I am I would venture to say maybe you get it from the Torrents, the Mexican San Andrean Maduro or Marron wrapper. Would that be correct? Correct, yes. Okay. And they, we know they make they grow spectacular wrapper. And I remember about five years ago, every year at the – at the Cigar Retailers Convention, I always look for a theme. And I know that you can remember, maybe it was seven years ago, it was big ring gauge size cigars. Then it was Cameroon wrapper. And then maybe about five years ago, it was San Andreas Maduro or Marron wrapper. That Everybody wanted it. And we're seeing an explosion of that. And at one time, people said, oh, Mexican tobacco, it's harsh, it's strong, it's bitter, which was never the case. And now we're seeing that people want that wrapper. You use that in addition to the Dominican Criollo 98 binder, Dominican Criollo 98 Seco, and Lajero in the filler. And so I've got to believe that from that wrapper and the binder and the filler, we're looking at a very nice medium-bodied cigar, almost with some nice notes of espresso, some nice richness, but very balanced all the way around. Yeah, it's it's a cigar that when we first launched the cigar was with with Arapiraca from Brazil. Oh, love Arapiraca. Um, love Arapiraca, but it's uh, can't get it. If you notice, a lot of people are moving away from Arapiraca. It's just because Brazil is just, it's becoming a mess. It's it's very right. tough. So you're not getting really the quality that you used to get, and um, San Andres really really took over that whole Maduro market. You know, right? So. Um, Everybody, well, most people I know have changed to San Andres and stopped using 
Arapiraca. It's just too costly. The yield, you don't get as, the, you know, you buy, uh, you know, X amount of poundage and maybe you get like 50%, <laughs> right. you know, wrapper out of it. The rest becomes filler and binder, you know, so it's not worth it. Yeah, and the yields on the Mexican San Andreas Maduro are, you know, far better. And as you know, the Torrents are world-class when it comes to growing tobacco and being world-class gentlemen. And I'm sure, you know, both Alberto and Alejandro, and they are, they are phenomenal uh, individuals. What I love about the packaging of the PDR uh, 1878, Abe, is you've got a very colorful... Havana-esque look to it. It reminds me almost of a Leroy Neiman painting. When you look at the way Leroy Neiman painted, a very famous uh, artist that painted a lot of sports scenes, but it has that same color texture. And then you've got this incredible looking band, and I love the pigtail, very classic Cuban on the top. You have a secondary band on the foot of the cigar. Just all the way around, it, it just jumps off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I wanted to do something to, you know, represent Santiago. So you see the monument, you see the, the, the old Cadillac from Trujillo it, it parked in front. You know, as you know, Trujillo built that, that, uh, that monument. And, um, you know, I wanted something classic. Um, and my friend Fabian, I don't know if you know Fabian. Um, I do, Barantes. Yeah, Valente. So he's uh, he actually painted, designed that for me. Um, for that, we were gonna actually try to do a painting, a pro cigar, and all that stuff, and then the pandemic came. <laughs> right. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll eventually get a painting out for people. I never, I never realized that Fabian uh, did that design work. He's a very talented guy, great guy. Uh, mm -hmm. Been a number of uh, manufacturers in the cigar industry, and so I did not realize that. Now let's talk about. The PDR 1878 uh, Capa Natural. That uses an Ecuadorian Connecticut shade, so it's going to be a little bit creamier, maybe a little bit lighter in terms of taste on the palate. Yeah, it's, a, it's the same filler and binder inside. It's just, it's just uh, what the Ecuadorian wrapper just creams out the, 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 the spices of the, of the criollo that you have inside. Um, I feel it's it's a good uh, early morning cigar or yep. you know golfing cigar. You know what I'm saying it doesn't overpower your palate so much, um, you know. And and but it's not super light either. You know, it's not, it's not it's not like you know it's not like you're smoking air either. So you have an ongoing you know flavor that's coming through. Every puff gives you that nice creaminess and with a good you know, light spice coming through every time you puff on it. So. Um, it's, it's one of my best cigars. And the third of that is, is the Sun Grown, So, Which we featured in the Officers Club that people loved. I found it to be just exceptionally smooth, a lot of flavor, but just no bite to it. Just a very pleasant cigar from the time you lit. I mean, you could take it right to the end. It was very, very smooth. What, what uh, suggested retail prices for the PDR 1878 line are we looking at? That's more. That's uh, We're talking about... Probably nine, right now, like uh, for the robusto. Okay. So uh, eight fifty to nine ish, depending what state you're in. So um, I can't. I mean, sometimes I, I can go after the the, the list and then the, I show no, up no, to no. The it's state. okay. So we're looking at nine dollar ballpark. That's all we really need. Now let's move on to the A Flores, nineteen seventy five. 
So I got to believe 1975 was the year of your birth. Yes, it is. Okay. So it's and, a, well, the Aflores Seti Privada was the first one, first cigar that yeah, launched with my name on it. So it was kind of my uh, my signature cigar. Um, I wanted to come up with something, you know, a cigar that's really mine. I really wasn't thinking about doing anything crazy with it or huge production with it. I just want something that uh, it's a cigar blend that I was smoking for myself that I wanted to really, you know, show everybody that this is me. This is what I like every day in, day out. And this, and that, you know, people really enjoyed it. So, um, we have Maduro and then it used to be called Capabano, but we changed it to Capa Rosado. Uh, right. Mostly because uh, as the brand, again, as we became more of a global brand, we've, we had to remove all these terminologies like Habano from the right. rappers. Um, and we had to just use things like Claro and, and, and word, wordings like Rojado and Claro and, and you know, Marron and things like that, you know, because we can't use the word Habano. Well, I'll tell you, Abe, I still have some of the A. Flores 1975 uh, Maduros that, and I'm trying to remember when I got those, but it's been a couple of years, um, and, and I don't know how I got them. I can't even remember. It may have been at a convention I saw you at, and you handed me some, uh, but I put them in my humidor, and those are fantastic cigars. Love the, the square press look to it. It's just a very elegant packaging, and, uh, you know, now in the box... Uh, just again, clean, elegant box, and uh, I should mention, uh, Abe, that we have something in common because your name is Abe. My grandfather's name was Abraham, and I, you know, used to call him Papa Abe or Cigar Abe. So I think you and I may have to work on a special blend just for me in honor of my grandfather because I, I remember the type of style cigar he smoked, and uh, he loved cigars. And I will tell you, he would absolutely love your uh, A. Flores Series Provada, Rosado, and Maduro. Probably the Rosado more so, but uh, he would love them both, and they're fantastic cigars. And those are more of a premium price point. Yeah, yeah, that goes up to, you know, we're launching a Corona uh, on it. Uh, we're relaunching the, the whole line again uh, next month. Um, I'm letting you know. So we're going to actually take out, we used to have a, seven by 58 so that's right. going to be discontinued so we're going to do the we're going to launch a corona on it because i feel like you said coronas are coming back and i that's the size that i like to smoke the most so uh we're going to launch a corona and that's going to retail like you know eight bucks and then robusto is going to be 10 and the total is going to be 12 and then then uh, the six we're going to do six by 60 and that's going to be like 13 14 dollars yeah, and, and to me, when you're smoking a square-pressed cigar like that, I like a Corona. I think it's just a very elegant, classic size, and I think more and more people gravitate towards that, especially in a square-pressed cigars. I don't think people gravitate to those big, huge ring gauges in a square-pressed the way they do in a regular cylindrical cigar. Now, let's move. I do want to talk about the A-Flores, the Gran Reserva. Uh, we did the Deflorado, which was very popular. Of the A. Flores Grand Reserva, you have a Corojo, a Sun Grown, a Deflorado, and a Maduro. Which one of those is the most popular? The Corojo. The Corojo, the Corojo. was the first one that came out. Um, um, we first launched the Corojo in tins, half grown in tins, and then second to that, we did the Sun Grown. Um, and then third was the Deflorado, and then the Maduro was last. So our number one selling of all four is a Corona. 
and, and that so, uses uh, what's interesting is that's a Dominican Corojo 2006 wrapper, and it is not easy growing cigar wrapper in the Dominican Republic. No, no, at all. <laughs> Very tough. Very tough. <laughs> Very difficult. So, to me, I know most of these cigars with the Dominican wrapper a little bit more on the heftier side. Would that be the case on the uh, A Flores Gran Reserva Corojo 2006? Yeah, it's more. It's more. Uh, has a bite to it. Um, thicker wrapper, uh, more of a biso. Um, yeah, it's, it's just more heftier. Uh, the little half coronas I've had to actually change the blending of that a little bit in the last few years because it was when we went from a cigar with lot of ligero and then you brought it down to a small cigar, it was too much of a powerhouse, right? A little power bomb. So when you sell that in Europe, it's like well, it's too much, <laughs> you know. Right. So gotta back it down. We had to lighten it up a lot. So let's look at the PDR eighteen seventy eight roast cafe. Now you've got the natural roast coffee flavor, the medium roast, uh, dark roast. Those are not flavored cigars, correct? Uh, they're infused with they're infused. Uh, with uh, mocha. Okay, so it is, there's a mocha cigar. So that's not going to be for everybody, but the, tell us about the, how that cigar came about and, and how those are doing. That's actually doing phenomenal. Um, that came about, you know, I, I, I would do. I was doing some flavors for, for some of the catalogs, and then um, I had a retail friend of mine. He wanted, you know, kind of like the Nub Nub Cafe. You know, right. He's like, you know, uh, he went for his own prior label. Just something that wasn't so overpowering in flavor. Because the way I do this, this whole line, is just, it's kind of like a flavor cigar for, for a cigar smoker. So it's not like, you know, when you smoke a flavor cigar, sometimes it's like, yeah, like 80% of the flavor that they infuse and then, you know, 20% tobacco. This is the opposite. This is more more tobacco flavor and then 30 25 percent of the flavor that i infuse in it so and then even the the sweet tip that i put on it it's more like a honey and sugar cane um i put natural stuff on it because it has to be something that i can smoke at any time so it's Um, not going to be like a a totally infused cigar it's going to have some subtle hints to it and it'll appeal to cigar connoisseurs as opposed to a flavored and really infused cigar that somebody really wants those sweet uh, um, uh, kind of unique type of herbs, that herb type of note. This is totally different. This is really geared towards a cigar connoisseur. Yeah, it, it's it's more like if you're drinking coffee in the morning, you want something a little bit different. Yeah, you know, something that's not going to overpower with your, with your coffee. You buy one of these, and and you still feel like you're smoking a cigar. You know, uh, it just adds to the to what you're drinking in the morning. Uh, and it's done very well. People really enjoy it. Uh, they're all, I get a lot of uh, compliments on how I, I infuse it because it's not it's not so overpowering. Like when you smell you can smell the, cho- the coffee and the mocha right away. But once you burn it, 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 it doesn't overpower your palate. You still get the tobacco in your mouth. And it's just kind of like a blend in your mouth, you know. So, um it's done very well. I'm very happy with with this with this line. So. Excellent. Now, two other cigars in your portfolio I do want to talk about. One, the AFR 75 Edition Limitada Maduro and the Edition Limitada Claro. That is a just totally elegant look. Uh, 
let's talk about the the blends on both of those cigars. Well, right now we're not selling that cigar. We were, uh, but when we launched it, it was pretty much you know hefty. Even if you look at the sizes, they're like you know five by you know fifty four and yeah, they're a big ring gauge. By, Six by you know six by fifty six and and uh, you know seven by fifty eight you know they were they're they're hefty cigars very elegant um, you know a lot of tobacco in it nice and tight compact cigar um, I think it's medium medium to full flavor I think medium to full body a lot more nicotine to it um, right now because of the production that cigar we were it was a it, it, Limited edition where we launch it three times a year. Then pandemic came, and you know, right now we're we pull back, and then we'll we'll bring it back again probably, you know, the end of the year, but not with the same sizes. I'm probably gonna change the sizing to be more appealing uh, and more like Robusto standard Robusto size five right. five by fifty two and six you know six by fifty four. And maybe a six by sixty, and just keep it really simple, you know. So, and, and those, what was the suggested retail on those? Because those are more on the, you know, super premium side. That was uh, that cigar retail from, uh, you know, from the Catador that was twelve dollars to eighteen, nineteen dollars. You know, right. So mm-hmm. later this year, they will be coming out. Just some changes in sizes, maybe more limited, limited sizes. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, last I want to end up with the Flores y Rodriguez Connecticut Valley Reserve Maduro and Connecticut Valley Reserve Azul. That Maduro, I remember when you launched it, very elegant, nice box, very, very, uh, very special packaging, really stands out, some unique sizes. Let's talk about that cigar. That was Connecticut Valley Reserve, CVR. Uh, it's a Connecticut Broadleaf. Um, a lot, of Nicar- a lot of Nicaragua in it, uh, filler inside. It was, it was a, a once-a-year cigar that we were launched out. Um, then eventually it was allocated to, to pretty much 300 shops, three or 400 shops. Um, and then we, you know, on the third year, we launched them in jars, you know, um, uh, ceramic jars. That did very well. Um, right. And that cigar, it will come back again, but not as Flores Rodriguez. That's going to come back as an A Flores Connecticut Valley Reserve. It will. Um, and, okay. And that will also what we're going to change the sizing. We're going to try to be making more price. That cigar will retail a lot higher because that will get up to twenty five dollars per cigar. You and know, so that's going to be obviously a limited cigar based on, on the availability and based on the price point. So that's going to be, what, a once-a-year type of release? Yeah, it'll be once a year. And that's it. For now. <laughs> right. So with the pandemic, you've really had to adjust to to focus your product. Because you said you went from making 8,000 cigars a day beginning of the year. Now you're up to 15,000. But you really had to concentrate on the cigars that are your big movers. So the PDR, uh, uh, Capa Natural, Capa Madura, uh, and then the El Criorito, which you said was big, and the A. Flores, uh, Grand Reserva Corojo, and then the Maduro and the Sun Grown. So those those are really where you're spending most of the action right now. Yeah, and that and uh, 10th anniversary. The, the... Oh, 10th anniversary, right. 
yeah, that's that's a very, that's done very well, consistent uh, cigar. Um, the tenth anniversary Troubadour, eighteen seventy in coffee and Criollitos. That's pretty much what we're we're, uh, we're focusing right now in production. Um, as we increase a little bit more, well, once I can get it to at least twenty thousand a day, twenty two thousand a day, then we'll we'll start relaunching the other stuff a little bit in smaller runs but we're pretty much just when we when we get a new account we just tell them okay this is what you're gonna get all the time this is what you're gonna have we're not gonna have backwards but you know all this other stuff won't come for now and if we do get it you're only gonna get it one time for uh, once a year for now until things change how far away are you from getting up from fifteen thousand to twenty two thousand cigars a day well it took me a whole year just to get to add another seven thousand, you know what I'm saying? Right. So maybe <laughs> so, another year. Yeah, it took me like what you know, we're at ninth month of the year, tenth month of the year. So um, yeah, probably another year. Probably not uh, say eight months. You know, Abe, were all the other manufacturers in the Dominican Republic reporting the same thing that they were seeing uh, a loss of employees, cigar rollers at their factories? Yeah, I mean, we all had the same issue. We all have the same issues right now. We just don't. We need. We need rollers. We need well, rollers what do you attribute that to? Was why? Why did many of them decide not to come back after the pandemic? It's a lot of different things. Uh, they all got money for a while. Um, I had to let go of a lot of people uh, because we we were shut down for a while, uh, and I couldn't keep them keep people waiting so we had to like a uh, liquidate we call it liquidation it's kind of like a severance so everybody got their severance and we, we we only kept a small amount and then we started up again so a lot of people just like are staying at home or working little chinchales or factories that, where they don't have to claim what they're you know they report you know um, they're working for cash under the table is what you're saying yeah. Working for cash on the table, quick cash. Um, also, what's happening too with the United States is um, there's a there's a there's a there's a measuring tool in the DR called La Remesa. And La Remesa is the amount of money that Dominicans send back to the Dominican Republic. Okay, so Dominicans in the United States, you know, you know, sons, daughters that are in the United States, they'll send a hundred dollars to their fathers and whatever, the families, a month, whatever. So it used to be like, you know, $5 million, five, $6 million. It jumped up to 12, sometimes $15 million. Is that, is that per year, per day, per week? What's what's the what's the metric on that? I think it's a month. Oh, per month, okay, <laughs> per what, month. Yeah. Okay, per month. So, so, so what, from five to 12 million, okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, that the last, I gotta, I gotta really look that up, but what what the people told me here the government people here said that that it jumped really high so there's a lot of money uh, this year is up to i think no i think it's a year I, i'm i'm wrong actually because i'm not remembering the conversation so a year used to be like five six million dollars this year is gonna from beginning of january to now is up to like almost like 15 million 16 million dollars okay yeah, it's a big difference. That's a big jump. So they're getting money from relatives in the United States. And as we know, the 
you know, the living standard cost of living is far different in the Dominican Republic than it is in the United States. So in many cases, it's a motivation for them to stay home and say, look, we don't need to work. We're getting our relatives. But sooner or later, there's going to come a time when that's going to run out and people are going to have to get back to work. Uh, and so sooner or later, there will be equilibrium and normalcy back in the uh, labor uh, demand, supply, demand, marketplace. How is the inventory of tobacco, Abe? Has that been an issue over the last year with the, the number of, of the, the increase in demand of cigars here in the United States? Uh, it is an issue. Um, I think I position myself in a, in a way with working with, with the guys that I'm working with where they are committing to me to X amount of production. There's X amount of tobacco for my production. So, it's actually a good thing that I, I'm not producing eight million cigars, um, but companies who are bigger than me, they're they're having supply chain issues, and uh, right, the pandemic really, you know, stopped a lot of people from growing a lot. Actually, either they grew the same amount or grew less. Nobody was expecting this type of boom to happen, so uh, they're going to be catching up at you know now in November when they start planting again. A lot of people are going to start, you know, try. They need to catch up because tobacco is running out, and, and people are running out of fillers and wrappers and binders. Well, what's interesting is, you know, people have said to me, "Well, how, why is there this huge boom?" I mean, we're all, we're really close to boom year production levels or import levels, and the answer is fairly simple: is that. Prior to the pandemic, people would work in an office. So they may go out and maybe they'd have one cigar during the week, one on weekends. Well, when people started working from home, for those that could work from home, you saw many people working from their man cave, from their basement, which was cigar friendly, their outdoor patio, their veranda. And so now they're working on their computer, on the phone, they're doing Zoom calls. Well, guess what? There's no limitation to being able to fire up. If you wanna have a cigar twice a day, you can. And so initially, everybody was worried, saying nobody's going to come out and buy cigars because the economy's going to tank. It was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Once people could start, once everybody was working from home, they said, well, I need more cigars. And even though some retailers were closed, the mail order firms and, and uh, online catalogs, internet companies started doing big business. Many of the manufacturers selling online, their business grew exponentially. So there's more opportunities for consumers to smoke cigars. So instead of smoking, say, two cigars a week, maybe three, now they're smoking maybe five, ten cigars, sometimes even more than that, because they are in an area that is cigar-friendly where nobody's bothering them. So that has really increased. And so when you couple that with the fact that you know, you're a manufacturer. You know what you did last year. You're going to plan the following year, and you say, okay, this is where I need tobacco for the next few years. Well, all of a sudden, when manufacturers say, hey, I need more tobacco, I will dip into my reserves, well, there's going to come a day of reckoning where all of a sudden, you know, you can grow as much tobacco as you want today. It's still going to take two, three years for that tobacco uh, to ferment. So I think we're still going to have some supply demand issues for you know at least a year until there's some normalcy you know back in the marketplace and the reality is many people do not want to go back to the office they want to stay and work from home where they can enjoy their cigars and have a spirit in the afternoon so it's going to be an interesting couple of years for sure but you're in a great position because you're adding more rollers but you're limiting your capacity and now you're just making essentially 
a good number that you feel is attainable rather than saying, I got to keep growing, growing, growing and say yes to everybody. Yeah, correct. And it's, 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 you know, we're, you know, there's no need to do more than, than, than 4 million cigars and right now, and then just, you know, we run out, you run out, you know, this is what we got. So if you want a PDR, you're going to have to go to a retailer that sells PDR. Right. You know, if you want this, you got to do that. I mean, consumption has gone up to the roof. I mean, everything has gone up. Um, you got cigars are up. Alcohol is up. Um, even cigarettes went up, by the way. Remember, yeah, cigarettes were, were in decline. They went up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, which is crazy. And, and meanwhile, the FDA is worried about cigars when they should be worried <laughs> about cigarettes and all the other vape nonsense that's going on. Yet, you know the, the bureaucracy and the pleasure police. They have to interfere in a product that adults enjoy in moderation that is not marketed to kids. Yet, you try telling that to people at the FDA, they don't want to hear it. To them, tobacco is tobacco is tobacco. So... We always have to uh, fight the good fight, but you're making great cigars. And uh, Abe, I'm glad we had the opportunity to have you on uh, the show. It's been uh, many years since we've known each other. And again, the response that we received to our April Officers Club selection of the A. Flores Gran Reserva de Florado, the PDR 1878 Sun Grown. And we also did a PDR small batch exclusive. You found 20,000 of these cigars that were rolled in 2014 for a European uh distributor and they were hidden in the aging room and so you called me and said hey we've got these cigars they're you know these things are like seven years old would you be interested we don't have bands on them they're very simple but when i smoked the cigar i said we absolutely have to feature that and then people said well where can i get more of these and the answer is you can't when they're gone they're gone so you never know what you're going to find in the in the warehouse Abe. maybe you got to go in the aging rooms and really go to the crevices and see if there's any other great little uh, gems that are hidden back there yeah that was something that we had back there that we we totally forgot about and um the company went out of business um they disappeared and then uh it just sat there and then you know, one day I was just going through stuff, and I'm like, "Oh shoot, let's let's put it out there and you know, as a as a small batch and uh, see if people enjoy it." I get calls all the time if I'm gonna make it again. It's like it's not gonna taste the same, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 Abe, it will if you wait seven years, seven or eight years. Uh, the problem is you can't wait seven or eight years. That's a long time to wait. But they were fantastic cigars, incredibly smooth, and our members certainly uh, enjoy them. Well, Abe. Uh, congratulations continued success i'm glad things are going well for you at the pdr factory a flores down in tamborel republica dominicana and we have to get together soon abe i know you just did a uh, tour of the united states uh, doing some events but uh, now that things are opening up we'll have to get together down in the dominican republic and uh we'll we'll certainly get together and smoke some of your great cigars well, thank you for having me dave and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon and hopefully Absolutely. i see you soon come down to pro cigar for sure. You got it. You know what? Now that things are getting back to normal, I think I know Hanky's been after me. I think we will definitely do that. Abe Flores of PDR Cigars down in Tamboril, Dominican Republic, making absolutely fantastic cigars. And I should also mention they have three what they call fresh assortment packs. They have the Robusto assortment. They have a Toro assortment and the Roast Cafe Toro assortment. Five cigars. And if you can find them at a, at a, a retailer, pick those up. They are fantastic cigars. 
Certainly a very interesting story that Abe Flores shared with us in our two-part Cigar Masters series interviews. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Abe Flores. We have uh, several other interviews that we have planned over the next couple of weeks. We'll be joined actually, I think in early November, uh, with Steve Abbott, the senior brand manager at General Cigar who oversees the La Gloria Cubana and the Macanudo lines. And we will be doing more Cigar Masters interviews in the months ahead and certainly into 2022. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha, exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, a Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder, and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience, and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. Let's talk about little Petey, Pete Buttigieg. As President Trump would say, Pete Buttigieg, little Petey. As you know, we have a major, major transportation bottleneck, specifically with all sorts of cargo ships that are lined up out the yin-yang, out the wazoo off the coast of California, Los Angeles, and Long Beach awaiting to get into those respective ports to unload. Huge problems. Now that falls under the purview of the Secretary of Transportation. Now I've said that little Petey was incredibly unqualified for the, unqualified for the job from the get-go. He was mayor, and for those of you that live in South Bend, I'm not picking on South Bend, but when I say South Bend, it could be any other small city. Basically, Pete Buttigieg was a mayor of a small town. He couldn't even get the potholes filled. But now, he's going to worry about all of our transportation infrastructure in the United States. Again, couldn't fill potholes in a small town, and now all of a sudden, he's in charge of the nation's transportation system. Air, rail, land, sea, and specifically we're seeing a major crisis in the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach. There are now ships that have been waiting two, three weeks to go into port and get unloaded and then trucks to then go out and take the giant containers to distribution centers, manufacturers, other companies across the country. Huge issue. Huge backlog. Treat, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Little Petey. 
has been AWOL. Where has he been? Now, you are a secretary in the president's cabinet. That is not a Monday through Friday, nine to five job. That is a seven day a week, 24 hour a day, 365 day a year job. If you get called on Christmas Eve about some major event occurring in the transportation system in the United States, you better take the call. You better not let it go into voicemail and say, I'm sorry, let me try to sound like Pete Buttigieg. He tries to sound very intellectual. He's got like this kind of voice. Well, no, uh, I'm Alfred E. Newman, Pete Buttigieg, and I will not take the call because my husband Chaston and I were engaged in, in, in lovemaking on Christmas Eve. It's a very romantic time for us. And then we, of course, had to tend to our newborn little baby. I'm sorry. When you are a sec- cabinet-level secretary, your job is not Monday through Friday. It is all day, all night, all week, all year. It is an all-the-time job. So where has little Petey been? Well, he and his, I don't know if he, it's his husband, his wife, whatever terminology he uses, his spouse, Chaston, they adopted a baby. I think it's a baby boy, if I'm not mistaken. Sergeant Steve, are you aware if it's a baby boy or a baby girl? Any idea on that? Wasn't it twins? Did he get twins? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Pete, boot, edge, edge, baby. Hold on. Let's find out. Yeah, it's twins. Oh, they got twins. Okay. All right. Announce the birth of their son and daughter. I kind of feel sorry for both of them. Anyway, so where did little Petey go? Where, oh, where did Petey go? Did, because uh, again, you're a cabinet secretary. You got to be available on the job. You're not working for some company where they say, okay, fine, you get your eight weeks. Well, he's working for the government. And what did he do for the last eight weeks? He took paternity leave. And now people are saying, well, any attack on Pete Buttigieg taking paternity leave are homophobic, misogynist, and bad for business. Well, I'm going to attack him for taking maternity, paternity leave. I'm not homophobic. He can bang whoever he wants. I don't care if he banks 10 Chastons. But when you are a cabinet-level secretary, you have a responsibility to not only the president, but to the country. And if the job is too big for you, then quit. Don't, be, don't remain as cabinet secretary. Can you imagine... If the Secretary of Defense or any other important leader in this country said, well, you know, I'm taking two weeks off, don't bother calling me, or I'm going to take eight weeks off for paternity leave, don't call me. They'd be laughed out of town. They'd be laughed out of the country. But yet, Buttigieg defended being AWOL on paternity leave for eight weeks amid the big supply chain crisis that is going on saying that his leave was not a vacation, but work. Now, has he offered any solutions? Nope. Has he said, I'm going to be hands-on, I'm going to go to L.A., and I'm going to stay at the ports of L.A. and Long Beach until we get this resolved? If we need to bring more truckers in, the National Guard, if we need to start waiving some rules, then let's do it. No. He's been at home with his husband, Chaston, caring for his new twins. How pathetic is that? Now, not that he's caring for his kids, 
but that he's abandoning his cabinet-level job at a time when this country needs a Secretary of Transportation that is going to assist in solving the supply chain crisis when you have 100 ships backed up off the coast of California, and now we're finding out that one or several may have caused an oil spill, an oil pipeline spill. And when he's asked about it, he said, well, no, I'm allowed eight weeks, and, and uh, no, I could still be in touch. But yet, nobody, when, when Jen Psaki was asked, well, who's running the show? Oh, we have multiple people here. I'm sorry. There is one leader. There is one general at the Department of Transportation that can ultimately get shit done. And if he wants to waive rules, he tells the president, this is what I need. It may require an executive order, or I can just sign off on it. But to take paternity leave at a time of crisis in the United States is an absolute dereliction of duty. If it's too much for you and you'd rather spend time with your two newborn twins or a boy and girl, then resign. That's simple. It's a very simple game. Resign. It's not like you are, uh, you know, some sort of uh, uh, clerk in a shipping department or you're one of many in some other company where if you're leave, you take paternity leave or maternity leave for eight weeks, they'll survive. You are the head of a cabinet-level department. Can you imagine if all of a sudden we were attacked and the Secretary of Defense was nowhere to be found and when asked, the press secretary president would say, oh, well, he's taking, he's on week five of his eight-week paternity leave. Could you even comprehend a president or, a cap, or the press secretary even answering that? The answer would be, get your ass back to the Pentagon and now. And if I were Biden, I'd have a little come to Jesus with little Petey, Pete Buttigieg. And I'd say, understand that you've got Newborns you adopted, but you're a cabinet secretary. Country needs you now. So either make up your mind. You're either going to stay on paternity leave or you're coming to work and you're going to be hands-on and get your ass out to L.A. and Long Beach. Did Biden say that? No. Would Biden say it? Well, he doesn't even know where he is. If it were Trump, you could better believe he'd say, get your ass back to work. Let's solve this problem. That's not being homophobic. That's not being misogynist. That's not being racist. That's not being anti-business. That's being factual. When I heard Pete Buttigieg was named as Secretary of Transportation, I literally laughed my ass off the chair. This guy has done nothing of consequence. He was a consultant, I think, for Bain Capital. Or no, for, for yeah, Bain & Company or, or one of the other consultants, uh, Boston Consulting Group, one of those consulting groups. You know the definition of a consultant is? Someone from out of town. A consultant is, is put in place for one reason, because the boss needs somebody that they can point the finger at in case a decision is made that doesn't work. The boss can say, well, listen, that was their recommendation. We just followed it. I, I didn't, you know, that was not me. To me, if you're paid big bucks as a CEO, you don't need consultants. Consultants are people from out of town. That's simple. And then he was mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I'm sorry. He could have been mayor of Candyland. It's the same thing. 
But to become Secretary of Transportation, he proved I was right from the get-go. He is incompetent and not up for the job. End of discussion. The enemies of pleasure struck at your ability to purchase cigars from CVS about five years ago. And there have been various proposals across the country to prohibit drugstores, pharmacies, supermarkets, anybody that sells food from selling tobacco, including cigars. And I always said back at the time, it's a very slippery slope. Because if you really are concerned about selling anything unhealthy at a supermarket, at a convenience store, at a drugstore, at a pharmacy, then you've got to eliminate aisles and aisles of products that are currently sold there. Walgreens is the latest retailer that is examining whether or not they should continue to sell tobacco, including cigars. Now, I remember when I first moved to the cigar city of Tampa, and actually even when I lived in Buffalo and a student at Syracuse and after college in Baltimore, you could go into any drugstore and you could pick up premium cigars, handmade cigars. In fact, I remember Questeray 1884s and Questeray 1890, or, or 1895s, or correction, Questeray 1884s and Questeray 95s were sold, I believe, in a four-pack, a three- or four-pack, at many drugstores across the country, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid. Um, Eckerd's was the big drugstore chain before they started to get bought up by I say, I think Walgreens and, and uh, CVS, but you could go into any drugstore, any supermarket, no problem. You could easily pick up premium or mass market machine-made cigars. Last week, the CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance, Roz Brewer, when talking about fourth quarter earnings, they were talking about looking at whether or not that they should eliminate the sales of tobacco products, e-cigarettes, anything in the tobacco space. Now, what's interesting is retail sales at Walgreens rose in the fourth quarter, 6.2%, but it rose 7.2% when Walgreens excluded the sales of e-cigarettes and other tobacco products. So now Walgreens is looking at what role tobacco plays going forward in their stores. The CEO made the following statement, quote, we are thinking about what's next in our stores and how do we really project a healthy for you profile when you enter our stores? Tobacco is one of those areas that's under real scrutiny right now and so you'll see more to come in that area. Now they have evaluated their stance on tobacco products previously. Initially, a number of years ago, they pulled back on the number of tobacco products carried in their store, including cigars, and they also moved all the tobacco products behind the counter before many states enacted laws which made it mandatory for tobacco products to be placed behind the counter. Now, in 2014, I was a little bit off on the years. Seven years ago, CVS stopped selling cigarettes, cigars, other tobacco products, saying those products didn't align with the company's focus on health. Now, that's fine. They have the right to do that. But when you talk about health, Let's examine what else is sold at Walgreens and CVS or any other drugstore chain or convenience store. Let's start in the soda aisle where there's soda that is loaded with sugar. Loads and loads and loads of sugar. And we know 
that sugar is an addictive drug. We know that sugar is extremely unhealthy. We know that for a fact. I'll tell you that sugar is more dangerous than enjoying an occasional cigar. I don't have any science to prove that, but we all know that sugar, not good. Not good for your blood pressure, not good for your blood sugar, for coronary artery disease. In fact, fat was always evil. Oh, don't eat, don't have butter, don't have eggs, don't have meat. Oh, fat's terrible. When in reality, we've learned that it's sugar and processed foods that are the problem. Never was meat, never was poultry, never was cheese, never was eggs, never was dairy. It was always sugar. And the sugar industry paid big bucks and created a lot of advertising, a lot of lobbying to make sure that fat took the blame. They knew what they were doing. Now we go into another aisle. Let's look at the candy aisle. Look at all the sugar treats that are sold there. Certainly, a case could be made that if Walgreens or CVS or any other pharmacy or supermarket is interested in health, then you should eliminate selling soda and you should eliminate selling candy. And then let's go a little further down the aisle in the pharmacy and let's take a look at all the snack foods that are sold. Potato chips, tortilla chips, Doritos, popcorn, Fritos, Pringles, Lay's, kettle chips, the list goes on and on. So if they're truly, really worried about health, well, then we have to start going and clearing all those aisles out. Now, the last time I went into CVS or Walgreens, the soda aisles took up about, I would say, maybe 40 linear feet of shelf space. So 40 feet times what? Four shelves or whatever. So let's just say maybe it's 200 linear feet. A lot of sodas were sold. Snack food, same thing. Candy, even more. Now, if they're so concerned about health, then why don't they voluntarily say, look, we're going to cut out tobacco, including cigars, and we're also going to cut out snack foods, sugar drinks and sodas, and candy. They won't do that. They will never do that. No chance. That represents a huge amount of sales. There's a reason they devote so much aisle space and shelf space to it, because it moves. Now, they could say, look, we're a health company. We don't want to sell that. Fine, take it out. I'd respect them if they did. But the reality is we know they are full of baloney. They're full of poppycock. Why? Because if they were truly worried about health, as they say they are eliminating tobacco and cigars, then they would do the same for the aforementioned snack food and sugar-related categories. They will not do that. Will never happen. So whenever I see any of these supermarkets or these pharmacies, drugstores, big chains saying, we are worried, truly worried about the health of our customers and our consumers, they're full of baloney. What they're saying is, we don't want to deal with tobacco. Even though we make money, it's not worth it for us because the age verification, all the other political pressure that's put upon us. So we'll just get rid of that. It's behind the counter anyway. But if they were told you got to remove snack foods and candy and soda, their lobbying teams would go to work in force in Washington, D.C., lobbying senators, congressmen, the FDA, 
the executive branch, the OMB, they would lobby nonstop. Why? Because they make a ton of money selling snack foods. Always follow the money. It's not about health. Follow the money. Final and concluding segment of this edition of The Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Before we get to our final topic today, let me remind you that if you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, then you are deficient in being a true cigar connoisseur. Why? Because every month, as a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, you get three premium cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch. Cigars that are the latest and greatest. Cigars that may be new. Cigars that maybe we find that have been buried away in an aging room for 5, 10, 15 years. I scour all the manufacturers. I talk to all the manufacturers. And we are always looking for great selections for our members. Now, for September... We featured the La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo. Beautiful cigars that are named after the rare, bold, sun-grown Connecticut Havano leaf that's harvested from the top of the plant that's enriched with the most direct sunlight. The La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo medium to full body gem, paired collection of aged cigar tobaccos from five different countries, connoisseurs are tantalized after they light up with a broad array of flavors. Beautiful cigars, can't go wrong. Our Officers Club members raving about the La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempos. Now for October, that is going out next week. And again, we are suffering the supply chain issues as well. Getting cigars, getting pouches, getting everything, you name it. So they are going out next week. And I'll tell you when we'll send out on social media a, a, a messages so you know when they're going out. But it's probably going to be late next week. So you may get them right around the 30th, maybe November 1st, but they are the October Officers Club selection featuring the Alec Bradley collection. Three great cigars, starting with one of their big sellers, the Alec Bradley Prensado. I remember when, when owner Alan Rubin and I were having lunch, and he said, General, I want you to try this cigar. And he brought out a little humidor, and he had like 10 of them in there, and we lit it up, and I said, man, this is great, square press, what is it? He said, 
just smoke it. I'm not going to tell you yet, but just smoke it. He said it was great. He said in a few weeks, I'm going to let you know what it is. It became the Alec Bradley Prensato, a box-pressed beauty, blended with proprietary estate-grown Corojo tobaccos from the Trojes region of Honduras. It is an exquisite cigar, notes of espresso, interesting flavors. It screams super premium. And then cigar number two in the October Alec Bradley collection is the Alec Bradley Magic Toast. Medium-bodied cigar, buttery smooth, dark wrapper. Magic Toast, the name came about when Alec uh, Bradley founder Alan Rubin was inspecting the cigar tobaccos out in the field by flashlight one night. He saw the crop and said, this is absolutely magnificent. He didn't even want to wait until the next day to check out the crop. As soon as he got off the plane, he said, take me to the farm. I want to see it because he heard about it. Under the moonlight saw this incredible tobacco, and he said, we need to break out a toast. We need to break out some good whiskey. Let's have a toast to the new cigar that we're going to create with this tobacco. And the Alec Bradley Magic Toast was born. And finally, the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro, one of my absolute favorite sticks. Sultry flavor, smooth. The wrapper oozes oiliness. Just a chocolatey San Andrean Maduro wrapper surrounding Brazilian Nicaraguan filler tobaccos. It is a delight to fire up any time of day. Nice, medium-bodied, but very balanced, very tame. Love the cigar. Cannot go wrong with them. In fact, I have Alec Bradley cigars send me. My buddy Ralph Montero just send. I say, forget the box. Just send me them in a bundle. I said, you don't need to spend the money on the box. Just send them to me in bundles. No problem. And I get those Toros or those Robustos in bundles. And those Project 40 Maduros are delightful. And as a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, you will too get those three cigars. But if you're not a member, it's too late to get October. But you can get November, December, and future months. So go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club. Membership right now for the next two months. November, December is $22.95 per month. It is going up to $24.95 per month, January 1. We have not had a rate increase for around 10 years. We are getting whacked by inflation like everybody else. And for the first year, I said, no, we'll eat it. You know, maybe it'll subside. Well, it didn't. And the Postal Service raised their rates. We're getting cost increases everywhere, just like you are seeing at the pump and in the supermarket. So we are raising rates to $24.95 per month. But here's the deal. The cigars that we ship out are usually worth well in excess. In August, you got four Casa Torrent cigars worth 75 bucks. The Alec Bradley selection, a collection for October, I think I priced it out at somewhere around 30, 31 bucks. So $22.95 per month for November and December. Then it goes up for everybody, $24.95 per month. To join, again, go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club. All the frequently asked questions are there, everything you need to know. Membership is month to month, and you will enjoy fantastic cigars, premium cigars shipped to you. And the number of Officers Club members that rave about the cigars saying, General, we're ripping you off. These are great cigars. We love that our members get great value. And even though we're raising the price, you're still getting great value. All right, lastly, you probably heard about it in the news a couple of days ago. Alec, I was going to say Alec Bradley. Nope, wrong Alec. Alec Baldwin was on the set of a uh, movie. He's filming a movie out in New Mexico. And it looks to me from his garb and what he was wearing, I've seen some pictures 
that is a Western theme movie called Rust. And it's being filmed at Bonanza Creek Ranch, which is a movie ranch uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, while filming a scene that required someone to fire a gun loaded with blanks, the gun discharged and either shrapnel or a bullet hit two people on the set. It hit the director and it also hit the cinematographer. And so the cinematographer was taken to the airlifted to the hospital. She was pronounced dead, apparently upon arrival. 42-year-old director of photography, Helena Hutchins, died from her injuries. Director Joel Souza was, at, uh, was taken to the hospital, was treated, and released. Now, some people are saying Alec Baldwin fired the gun. Other people are saying other fired. It's a pop gun, apparently. I'm not familiar with how these things work, but apparently they do have to load some sort of dummy shell or dummy bullet in there, and it goes off like a cap gun. Still a lot to be learned, but the latest that I saw yesterday was that Alec Bradley, Alec, why do I keep saying Alec Bradley? No, it's Alec Baldwin. I've got them both confused. Alec Baldwin, and not to make light of this, said he came out with a statement saying, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred. He continued, I'm in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. Very, very strange. Now, I understand that there was another uh, actor that was killed a number of years ago being shot with the same thing, like a... Uh, you know, like a dummy, a dummy gun or a dummy bullet or whatever you want to call it, that apparently is Bruce Lee's, I don't know if it's his son, a grandson, or some relative of Bruce Lee that apparently was killed on a movie set. And apparently there's been a number of Hollywood types that have been after the industry to curtail the use of a lot of these because accidents such as this could occur. So don't know. I'm just looking at some pictures of Alec Baldwin and um, uh, certainly looks like he's hunched over, was talking to somebody. Not good. Now, what I found interesting is, now here's a guy that, at any case, goes after Republicans, goes after conservatives, you know, after the January 6th demonstration riot, whatever you want to call it, you know, went after a number of people, and, and, uh, and those, there was one woman who tragically died, but as somebody made the comment, which I thought was rather interesting, that Alec Bradley, again, why do I keep, Sergeant Steve, why do I keep saying that? I keep saying Alec Bradley. It's Alec Baldwin. Alec Bradley has nothing to do with the movie business. It is Alec Baldwin. No, and you like Alec Bradley. Cigars. I do like Alec Bradley. You, you I do not like I Alec love, Baldwin. I hate Alec uh, uh, Baldwin. I love everybody at Alec Bradley. I mean, Alan Rubin and uh, Alec and Bradley Rubin and, uh, you know, Ralph Montero. I mean, everybody over at, uh, at, at Alec Bradley are great friends. Alec Baldwin, on the other hand, forget it. And so do I, I tell you, I feel sorry for the uh, terrible for Helena Hutchins, the woman that was killed. And again, why was it pointed at her? Did Alec Baldwin, was he angry and maybe shot it at her? 
inadvertently, you know, to maybe knew there was blanks in it. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe she wanted to get this, the photo of the gun going off. Maybe she was off a little bit to the side and it hit her. Who, we don't know. We will find out. That I can guarantee you because chances are film was rolling. So we will find out exactly what took place. But certainly unbelievably tragic that on a movie set, this would be the last thing. But I, I find myself, Alec Brat, uh, uh, Baldwin is a guy that, frankly, is a prick. He's not a guy, it's not the kind of person you say, you know, I kind of like the guy. Frankly, he's a son of a bitch bastard. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. He's not a pleasant person. I mean, look at how he spoke to his daughter on an answering machine. Jeez, that tells you all you need to know about the, the guy's personality. So it's hard to feel sorry for him. I feel terrible about the woman that was tragically killed. That's just terrible. But it's tough to garner sympathy for Alec Baldwin. And I want to know, and we will find out, was it an accident? Did somebody load a bullet incorrectly? Did he get angry? You know, he's got a temper. Did he, you know, take the gun and you know, almost fake like he was shooting her or whatever. We don't know. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to speculate. But I'd like to know. But I can tell you this, that the people that Alec Baldwin goes after on a regular basis, Republicans, conservatives, those that he disagrees with politically, I will guarantee you they have much more sympathy for him and certainly the victim than he's had for any of them ever. He is a lousy prick SOB. I don't like him. I don't care for him. I don't even think he's that talented. And if you've seen him lately, the guy looks old and haggard. I mean, he's aged dramatically. That's what happens when you live a miserable life. And when you look at Alec Baldwin, all you can say is the guy's a miserable louse. Certainly tragic every step of the way. Would love to find out what exactly happened. If it was an accident, so be it. If it wasn't, we're going to find out. Apparently, he is cooperating with police. He went to the uh, meet with police yesterday. But we shall see what exactly took place. Should be interesting. Next week on the Cigar Dave Show, the extended Cigar Dave Show, we will conduct our annual Cigar Oktoberfest beer tasting maneuver with Tim Shackton, brewmaster at Eulalie Restaurant in the Cigar City of Tampa. They make fantastic beers. Tim was our guest two years ago. He will be our resident brewmaster again on next Saturday's show. And we're going to line up probably 15, 20 beers that we will sample everything you need to know about beer as we wrap up Cigar Oktoberfest. Hope you enjoyed our Cigar Masters Part 2 interview with Abe Flores of PDR Cigars and A. Flores. And don't forget, as always, make sure you subscribe to The Cigar Dave Show and our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, wherever you obtain your podcast or you listen. And give us, if you would, a five-star rating and review. We would appreciate that. If you want one place, one show that is not politically correct, that tells the truth, that doesn't sugarcoat anything, we're it. So we need you to give us a five-star rating both for Cigar Dave and The Bold Alpha podcast. Cigar Dave, the general, saying Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. Live it up. <laughs> <laughs>